Welcome to Mammoth Community Christian Church. It's just a joy to gather with you. Uh, last Sunday, Bonnie had COVID, and so I was joining you online, and I, I felt the distance. I, I, I felt united with you, but I wished I could have been here with you in person. Um, and then uh, it just turned out that God allowed us still, we were following CDC guidelines. We, Bonnie and I flew to Chicago this week. She was totally COVID negative by Wednesday morning. And Thursday through Saturday, yesterday morning, uh, we, along with our entire TICI team from our church, were uh, joining with 10 other churches in Chicago, immigrant churches for the Thriving Immigrant Church Initiative. And it was such a powerful time of gathering together, praying together, uh, sharing with each other what God has been doing in the last two years of our participation on this journey together and rejoicing in what God has done. You'll be hearing more about that in, in coming days, coming weeks. It, it was such a wonderful time. Um, and so we praise God for that. I just want to, I, I give announcements at the end, but I just want to give this one right now. My baptism class will begin this Friday, and, and I know some of you are thinking and praying about and weighing if this is the time for you to be baptized, and I encourage you, if, if you're praying about this, to talk to me about this, because this is something that is not optional for us as Christians. We're commanded to be baptized as a public declaration of our faith in Jesus Christ, and so I, I'd love to talk with you more about that. As I mentioned, uh, October is our missions month, and so for all of our sermons this month, uh, we're looking at missions. So for me, I'm, I'm taking a step out of my sermon series on the logic of authenticity. We'll, we'll return to that in November, but this month, I also am focusing on the mission of God in the world and the role that God gives each of us. In his mission. Now, just to define terms, when we speak of mission, uh, missions, the mission of God, uh, we're referring to the task that Jesus gave us as his followers to go into all the world, to call people from every ethnicity, every nation, every people group to become his disciples, to teach and train them to follow and obey him. And today we're going to take a closer look at Acts chapter 1, which is one of the passages, it's a very special passage related to mission in which Jesus gives very clear, very specific instructions for us regarding how we are to participate in God's mission throughout the world. So let's begin by reading Acts chapter 1 verses 1 through 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, 
but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? The same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven." Now, Luke wrote both the books of Luke and Acts. And at the beginning of both of these books, he addresses someone named Theophilus, which is a Greek name that means friend of God or loved by God. And we don't actually know if Theophilus was an individual person because later in church history, this would become a common name. Uh, So was this an individual person with that name, or is this simply a way that Luke is referring to all of his readers who are loved by God, who are investigating the ministry of Jesus Christ, who are looking into the beginnings of the church? Luke reminds us that Jesus suffered and died on the cross, and that he rose from the dead, that he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He really rose from the dead. For 40 days, Jesus appeared to his disciples, his followers, after his resurrection, and then he ascended into heaven. We find here again in this passage the sure promise, which Scripture speaks of again and again in many different places, that Jesus is going to come again someday. Someday he will fully establish his kingdom on the earth, and God calls us to be ready for that day. This morning we're focusing on the specific part of this passage, the conversation that Jesus has with his followers right before he ascends into heaven, this conversation in which he gives them final instructions, in which he tells them, I'm calling you to join me on an adventure that you can't even imagine, the adventure of spreading the truth and love of God throughout this entire earth. And so this morning we're going to see that Jesus instructs his disciples and us to wait for his timing, to act with his power, to follow his plan. Let me say that again. Jesus calls us to wait for his timing, to act with his power, to follow his plan. Jesus begins this conversation by giving his followers a command. He says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now we know that when the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples a few days later, they were sent into all the world telling 
all people about who Jesus is, inviting all people to follow him. Notice, though, that, that the Holy Spirit is so central to this task that Jesus commands his followers, don't take a single step. Don't make a single move until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The, Holy, the, the disciples are not to take a single step without the power, without the leading of the Holy Spirit. Because if they do, if they try to act and step out when the Holy Spirit is not leading them, they're going to make huge mistakes. But with God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, living in them, guiding them, empowering them, then they're going to do great things. They're going to do great things. Jesus spoke of God the Father sending God the Holy Spirit in John. He says this. He says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives in you. He lives with you and will be in you. The disciples had to wait for a few days uh, after Jesus ascended into heaven before they received the power of the Holy Spirit. But we know from other parts of Scripture that now when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit the moment that we believe in Jesus. The baptism of the Holy Spirit mentioned in this passage is a spiritual baptism that occurs the moment we place our faith in Jesus Christ and enter a friendship with God. This is why Paul says in Romans 8, the chapter that we're focusing on in my sermons, the series, The Logic of Authenticity, Paul says this, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. So we see that by placing our faith in Christ, we receive the Spirit. Uh, when we have the Spirit in us, we belong to Christ, that the two go hand in hand. Now, after Jesus tells his disciples that they need to wait until a specific time arrives, when they'll receive the empowerment from the Holy Spirit to do what God's calling them to do, it seems in Acts chapter 1, our passage for today, that this triggers the disciples to start to think about timing and about the things that they want God to do in their lives. And so Luke tells us this. Then the disciples gathered around Jesus and they asked him, Lord, are you at this time? going to restore the kingdom to Israel. They know that timing matters to Jesus. And so they're asking if at this time Jesus will finally do what they're longing and hoping for him to do, which is to restore the kingdom to Israel, to make the nation of Israel a great power in the world again, a, a great nation among the other nations of the earth again. It's likely, too, that their own personal ambition was tied up into this question. 
Because if Jesus is about to become an earthly king of a great nation, this means that they're probably going to have pretty important jobs. They're probably going to be important, powerful, earthly officials if it's now time for Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom. Remember how the brothers James and John had asked Jesus earlier to make them the two highest officials in Jesus' kingdom. They said, Jesus, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Jesus says, well, okay, what do you want? What are you about to ask? Just let us, one of us sit at your right hand, one of us at your left. Just make us the two most powerful people in your kingdom. It's clear from the attitudes of the disciples throughout the Gospels that they have tremendous difficulty in shifting their view of Jesus' ministry away from what they desire, which is what every Jew at this time would have desired, which is that the Messiah would come in earthly power and earthly glory and set up an earthly kingdom filled with earthly might like the kingdoms of David and Solomon. And so the disciples struggle with with setting this human hope aside and then accepting what God is actually planning to do through Jesus Christ, which is establishing an eternal spiritual kingdom, not just for the nation of Israel, but for all people, all nations of the earth. I think we will all struggle with this same struggle at one point in our lives, perhaps at many times, again and again, throughout our journeys of following Jesus. The struggle to accept God's actual work, God's actual will, and to let go of what we wish God's work would be. Will we also hang on to our human plans, our human dreams, and insist that God's work fit into our our limited human plans? Or will we surrender these small, limited human plans that we want to hang on to? Will Will we just open our hands? Will we just let them go so that God can use us in far greater ways according to His eternal plan? I shared last month about the time my friends and I had the perfect human plan for how we intended to start a new ministry in Minneapolis among young people who had never before heard about Jesus. Our plan was perfect from a human perspective. It was fail-safe. It matched the best human strategies for how to start a new ministry. There are books about this. We matched the books. Every indication suggested that we'd be successful. And then in a way so dramatic that we knew God's hand was at work, we failed. Our plans collapsed. Why? Because God had a better plan. But we were like the disciples, Lord, is this the time when you'll finally do what we've been wanting you to do? Is this finally the time when you're going to bring about our plan? We've waited so long. And as I shared last month, God showed us that his answer was no. He showed us that his plan was different from our plan, and he was calling us to wait. 
Because the Holy Spirit now dwells in every believer, we don't need to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit in, in the same way that the first followers of Jesus needed to wait for a few days. However, there will be times in our lives as we faithfully follow Jesus, as we faithfully obey him, when we do need to wait for God's timing. The disciples ask if now is the time for, your pl- for our plans They said, Jesus responds by telling them that the timing of God's future work is not something that they're going to be told in advance. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. And then Jesus tells them something very important. Rather than God bringing about the disciples' plans, the disciples will bring about God's plans. Rather than God bringing about the disciples' plans, God's calling them to bring about his plans. Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Rather than an earthly kingdom in which the disciples will become powerful earthly officials and receive earthly glory, God is sending the disciples out throughout the entire earth to be his witnesses, to call all people into an eternal spiritual kingdom. And instead of the kingdom of Israel being restored in a very limited geographic place, Jesus' plans for his disciples include every place on earth, every people group, every nation. Jesus says, I, on the underlying part, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, the, the disciples' view of geography centered on one small, tiny, specific kingdom named Israel with clear boundaries around it. But Jesus' understanding of geography is of an ever-expanding way that will sweep through the entire world, which the prophet Habakkuk prophesied in the Old Testament when he says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The problem with our human plans of what we want God to do in our lives and in the world around us, is that we make the same mistake that the disciples make. We make plans in which we are the star, in which we are the center of attention, rather than Jesus Christ our Lord. We make plans to build an impressive earthly brand for ourselves, rather than the eternal spiritual kingdom of Jesus Christ. We make plans that have human boundaries like the earthly kingdom of Israel where some people would be excluded on the basis of race or nationality or other human definitions when Jesus calls us to build a vast, 
borderless spiritual kingdom without human boundaries into which people of every ethnicity, every culture, every nation are invited into, which is the kingdom of God that will someday fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. One practical thing to note about Jesus' geographical instructions is that he's describing his followers participating in God's mission of spreading the truth and love of Jesus Christ in all these places at once, simultaneously in Jerusalem where all the disciples are currently located, in Samaria, the region next to uh, Judea, where, where the Samaritans lived, whom the Jews despised. Racially and religiously and in every way, they despised the Samaritans. But Jesus is sending his people there. And also to the ends of the earth, to every people group, every nation, God's mission involves all these geographical places simultaneously. It's not consecutive. It's not, for, okay, first, uh, you know, first preach in Jerusalem when everyone there believes. Okay, then it's time to move on to Judea when everyone there believes. Then move on. No, it's, it's, every, it's everything, everywhere, all at once. This is the mission of God. And in the rest of the book of Acts, we see a practical view of how this unfolds as God speaks to Peter and John in Jerusalem and then God sends Philip to Samaria to preach and then God sends other believers to Antioch to start the first multi-ethnic church ever and then God is sending later Paul here, Peter there. It's, it's everything, everywhere, all at once. Finally, Jesus clearly explains to the disciples that the mission he's sending them on will be propelled and guided, not by their own human strength or energy, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a danger for us who are hardworking to assume that once we know what God's will is, then our job is to roll up our sleeves, put our hands to work, and make it happen ourselves through our own strength and effort. But God tells us again and again throughout Scripture that the exact opposite is true. God calls us not to rely on our own strength or effort, but God calls us to rely entirely upon His power at work in and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll just give you one example which says this so clearly. Recently, my, my personal devotional reading, I read Psalm 147. And this is an amazing psalm because it's filled with statement after statement of what God does. It says, God builds, builds Jerusalem. God gathers his people who've been scattered. God heals the brokenhearted. God decides how many stars will be in the sky. He covers the sky with clouds, gives earth rain, makes grass grow, food to animals. On and on it goes saying, God does everything everything and it then says this God's pleasure is not in the strength of the horse nor his delight in the legs of the warrior the Lord delights in those who fear him who put their hope in his unfailing love what this means is that God is not impressed 
by earthly strength or power or talent or strategies. But God takes delight. He's pleased with, he desires to see those who fear him. This means God is pleased with those who look to him in humble reverence. God has favor upon those who put their hope in his unfailing love. In other words, they're looking to him to provide all that they need. And they're utterly dependent upon his love. And if his love is not faithful, if that love is not there in the moment of need uh, to give them what they need in the moment, they're going to fall. They're utterly depending upon God and God's power to act in their situation. They're not trying to do everything on their own apart from God. No, they're depending totally upon God's power and guidance working in them through them to do what they cannot do. God does everything. And the amazing thing then about Jesus' words in Acts chapter 1 is that God has chosen to do part of his work in us and and through us. He didn't have to. It's, It's a way that he blesses us. It's not to burden us, it's to bless us, to raise us up. And so we need to acknowledge our complete and utter dependence upon God And as his people, let's listen for God to share his plan with us in his time. And when he does so, then and only then are we ready to move out and to act, not in our own strength, but in the power of the Holy Spirit. So how do we apply this to our lives today? There's just several practical ways that I'd like to highlight this morning. First, we need to be very alert to the common tendency found even in the lives of the disciples, even after Jesus rose from the dead, you know, even after three years of following him closely, this human tendency to focus on our human plans and to think that our human plans are God's plans when actually they are not. I guarantee you it's far better to learn this lesson from the words of Jesus in Acts chapter 1 than to learn it through bitter experience later on. Although it seems to be that most of us have to learn this through experience. If we humbly seek God and ask Him for His plans regarding our lives, regarding the specific situation that we're facing, He will reveal his will to us little by little, step by step. Second, we see in this passage that God has his own timing. We have the Holy Spirit living in us as God's people, but God still has a a special timing regarding when we're to do this, when we're to do that, when we're to go here, when we're to go there. And just because we as a church have always done something in a certain way in the past, this does not mean that God's still calling us to do things in the exact same way in the future. Third, all our work and all our effort 
as a church must be led and empowered and dependent upon the Holy Spirit rather than upon our own human strength or skill or effort. And learning how to allow the Holy Spirit to work in us and through us is part of what mature ministry looks like. Fourth, God will involve each of us at some level, in some way, in building his kingdom throughout the world, beyond our own national and ethnic boundaries, beyond our comfort zones, so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. God's mission is everything, everywhere, all at once. In closing, I'd like to share how God enabled my friends and me to start a ministry in Minneapolis according to his plans, not our plan, which illustrates some of the lessons we've been learning today. Remember, this is after our human plan for starting a ministry totally collapsed. I was in my last year of high school, and because of a boundary change where I lived, I was shipped to a brand new high school where I knew very few people for my final year of high school. One of my only friends at this new school had a very strange habit. He would carry a book of witchcraft every day in school. And then one day, God started speaking to my heart, and he said, Nathan, you know, you see your friend with his book of witchcraft. I want you to carry your Bible in school. Now, I was not happy about this at all. Because I was sure that my small handful of just a few friends, not only would they no longer be my friends, but they'd be the first ones to beat me up. And, and, and I, I felt so weak, so unable to do this, that I went to my pastor and I said, I, I, I know God has asked me to do this, but this is humanly impossible. Uh, my high school is a tough high school. How can I do this? And so we would pray together. We had to pray about the opening part of the school day before first hour. We had to pray through first hour. We had to pray through the hallway transition time between first and second hour. We had to pray through second hour. We had to pray through every part of my day. It was this scary for me. And finally, I was, you know, I was not happy with God. I said, okay, God. I was a little mad. I said, okay, I'm going to do this, I'm going to carry my Bible, but I'm not going to carry my little Bible, I'm going to carry my big Bible, and when I get beat up, not if, when I get beat up, it's your fault. I just want to be clear, it's your fault when I get beat up. And so the first day, I start carrying my Bible, and, and as I make this choice to obey God, I also began to feel a new strength and a new courage fill me. And, and so I'm carrying my Bible through first hour, second hour, third hour, and it's lunchtime. And I'm walking to a, a round table with my friends, and there's only one seat open. And as I'm walking up to the table, the, my friend Dan, next to the only open seat, is talking loudly about a death metal band he really likes, and how they have a song about killing Christians, and how, how he how he thinks that's a great idea. And so I know I'm about to die. I walk up to my lunch table. My friends are all in the goth punk scene. And, and so I stand there. I take my Bible and I, I just slam it on the table at that open spot next to Dan. And he's so startled, he looks up to me and says, Nathan, what's that? 
I said, Dan, that's a Bible. And he was so like shocked and uncertain what to say. He said, oh, cool. And then I sat down, I ate my lunch. There was kind of stunned silence at the table. I'm done eating, I get up, I leave. Go on with the rest of the day. No one beat me up that day. And no one beat me up the other days either. A number of days later, I'm sitting in my German language class. Uh, My friend is next to me. A book of witchcraft is on his little desk. I'm sitting next to him. A Bible is on my desk. My, My teacher comes up to me to mock me in front of the entire class. The teacher picks up my Bible, says, let's see how well you know this. And he, he, he opens it up. He says, what's the last word on page 387? I'm thinking, how should I know? But then all of a sudden, a word flashes across my mind. I see it in my mind. It's only two letters, I-T. It. The word it flashes across my mind. So I say it. My teacher's eyes get really large. He closes the Bible, sets it down, walks away. My friend with the book of witchcraft says, well, what's the last word? I said, I don't know. So we turn to 387 and I show him it's the word it. Day after day, week after week, I'm carrying my Bible in school. and I'm sitting at my lunch table with my goth punk friends. and, And sometimes I'm done eating and I... I just silently open it up and I'm silently reading something to myself. I close it. You know, I'm not preaching at them. But then finally they say, you know, what's in that Bible? They've never been to church. They know nothing about Jesus. They're like, why do you carry that? What are you reading? Read us something. And all of a sudden God was saying, this is my way. This is my time. And so my friends and I, I extended an invitation to my goth punk friends. I said, would you come to a Bible study where we can read this Bible together, learn more about Jesus? He was a really radical guy. I think you'll like him. And and they shot back at me. They said, you know, Nathan, we're not going to go there if some preacher is going to preach at us. I said, okay, well... You know, what, what, do I, what do I say? And I well, what if I'm the one who speaks? Would you go then? And they said, okay, if you're the one who speaks, we'll go. And so there was an abandoned funeral home in our area. They wouldn't go to a church, but we got permission to, to meet at an abandoned funeral home. And so we gathered, and we called it the Hardcore Bible Study. And so I stood up and I talked about Jesus reaching out to the lepers, how the lepers were excluded in society. The lepers were despised and rejected. And my friend said, wow, that's how I feel in school. I walk down the halls and sometimes people spit on me and they call me these awful names. I feel like a leper. And we said, Jesus loves lepers. We kept meeting week after week. This was back in 1993, 30 years ago, this year. And the Bible study continued to meet. Eventually, we transitioned from our working class neighborhood to the inner city of Minneapolis. We became the Minneapolis branch of a global Christian ministry. And later, this church would become, this, this, this ministry would become a church that still exists today. God's time, God's plan, God's power. God is calling us as his people not to rush forward with our perfect human plans. He's calling us to wait upon him. 
in his time, as we seek him, he will show us the next step to take. And and rather than waiting for God to fulfill our human plans, God is going to invite us to participate in his much better plan of spreading his truth and love to our family, to our friends, to our neighbors, our friends in our schools, throughout our region, throughout this world, without boundaries. And he teaches us uh, to be his people who are going to live in complete and utter dependence upon him each day. And as we do so, we're going to experience the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, working through us in ways that we could have never dreamed or imagined. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful to know you this morning. And we're so grateful that the adventure that you call us to enter into is far better than our wildest earthly human plans or dreams. We thank you this morning that as I tell the youth again and again, your plans for our lives are always better than our plans for our lives. And so today, we surrender our lives into your hands. Forgive us, Lord, for telling you what we want you to do in our time. And Lord, instead we say, Lord, we just want you. We just want your plans for our lives in your time by your power. Have mercy upon us and use us for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.